Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Dr. Ron from Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, here on Blog Talk Radio. We are here each and every Tuesday at 4 p.m., bringing you the latest medical commentary. We will bring you very interesting guests. We can be reached at 347-989-8899 or, of course, on the Internet at blogtalkradio.com. I thank you for making this the number one listen to medical program here in South Florida. And we will get on with the show very shortly. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ron here on Tuesday at 4 o'clock with a great program for you today. We have with us today Mr. Sean Kopko, and we'll get to him shortly. I want to thank everyone for making us the number one listen to health radio show here and program on the Internet in Southwest Florida. Our numbers are fantastic, and I thank you for that. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have a number you can call into the show 347-989-8899 i also opened up a chat room today and you can see that on your if you're joined us on the internet and if you have any questions uh just jot them in that chat room and i will uh, pass them on to our guest uh let's get rid of the lawyer thing today Uh, let's do this first at the beginning of the program this program contains general General, medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. The information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment because of information heard on this program. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. Well, we kept the lawyers happy, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, today we have uh, Dr. Dan and Dr. Jerry joining us. We'll bring them in shortly. Uh, and uh, in fact, let's uh, let's bring in uh, Dr. Jerry. Is that you, sir? Hello. All right, Dr. Jerry, glad to hear you. Yep. And let's see if Dr. Dan is joining us. Dr. Dan, is that you? Tis I, Dr. Ron. Good afternoon. And Dr. Dr. Jerry also. Good afternoon, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'd like to just uh, alert you to certain things every week before we get on with the program. And, And, you know, we've talked about light. And we've talked about the blue light and, you know, we've all often said, can light affect your health? Well, it definitely can, largely as a result of energy efficiency. There's been a major transition to LEDs, right? That's almost a primary source of light source. In this regard, it worked like a charm. It reduces energy requirements. But as much as 95% of the energy required to use incandescent, thermal, analog sources of lighting. However, ladies and gentlemen, the heat generated by incandescent light bulbs, which is infrared radiation, is actually beneficial to your health. And next week, we will show you why it is actually worth the extra cost. 
There are major downsides to LEDs that are not fully appreciated, ladies and gentlemen. The LED lighting may actually be one of the most important non-native electromagnetic field radiation exposures. That's EMF that you're exposed to on a daily basis. So if you choose to ignore these insights that we'll talk about next week, it can have very serious long-term ramifications. It could lead to age-related macular degeneration, which is the leading cause of blindness in the United States and elsewhere. Other health problems rooted are rooted in mitochondrial dysfunction. They could be exacerbated by LEDs. So they run a, a, a gamut from metabolic disorders to cancer. And I have to admit, uh, Dr. Jerry brought this uh, to light, oh, about a month ago when we talked about the energy and the, and the wavelengths that come from the LEDs into our bodies. Do you remember that, Jerry? Yes, I do. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it, it, we, we forget about uh, that these are energy sources and that they, they can affect the way our bodies operate, especially the blue light. And, we'll, we'll, again, next week we'll talk about light and uh uh, we'll have a, an engineer from uh, Drexel University in Philadelphia uh, so that you can understand how light affects your body. Very, really important uh, program next week. I, if you uh, have any friends, we'll be talking about the blue light from phones, from tablets, from computers, <clears throat> and then what to do about it. We always like to tell you what to do about it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time today on other medical issues. Uh, you know, I have more things on statins that are just incredible. I have information about vitamin D and K2 and dementia. Um, the, the, we've, we had multiple pro, uh, programs on proton pump inhibitors. <clears throat> we'll we'll re- review them again a little bit next week. Uh, but this week, uh, I'm going to play a little uh, advertisement from Dr. Ron Jr., and then I'm going to introduce our guest, and we'll get on with a great show about water and things that you have no idea and, and I have no idea about. So hold on for one minute. This is Dr. Ron Repesey of Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa, your place to chill at 239-658-COOL. If you've not heard of whole body cryotherapy and suffer with back pain, joint pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, or you're an athlete that wants quick recovery from sports injuries, then come chill with us at Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Sauna. Cryospa treatments take only three minutes and are supervised by physicians. Sessions are one-on-one in a private environment. Each treatment can also burn five to 800 calories. As seen on Dr. Oz, Cool Cryospa is truly amazing technology. Let's hear what Dr. Kurt Biggs, a well-respected orthopedic surgeon in Naples, has to say about Cool Cryotherapy. Hi, I'm Dr. Biggs of the Joint Replacement Institute. Since I started applying the Cool Cryosauna, my patients are healing much quicker and athletes are seeing quick recovery. I recommend this procedure for my surgical patients and athletes. Call Dr. Repesey now to schedule your Cool Cryo trial session, 239-658-COOL, 239-658-2665, located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road in the Noodles Italian Bistro Plaza. Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa. Come chill with us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's Dr. Ron Jr. He's a chiropractor. He's also a chiropractic neurologist with boards in neurology. So uh, 
good, good contact for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have so much <clears throat> information to be learned from uh, Sean, Co- Sean Kopko that I wanted to get ahead, go ahead and introduce him. Uh, Sean is the author of The Story of Water Treatment, The Cape Coral Experience. Uh, he will discuss the history of water from ancient to modern times and, and where we go to the future. The story of water treatment and the Cape Coral experience answers these questions. Where does your drinking water come from? What did ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans have to do with your drinking water? Julius Caesar, known for being the first Roman dictator uh, and falling in love with Cleopatra, was responsible for what historical action? That's a question. Did you know that Hippocrates, the father of medicine, was an imprisoned criminal? I didn't know that. He served 20 years. Do you know why? I don't know why. Who is Sidney Lowe? Where is Cape Carl? I do know that. What does it have to do with the story of water? Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thanks to Dr. Dan, who introduced us, uh, Mr. Sean Kopko. Sean? Yes, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Dr. Dan and Dr. Jerry. And well, I, uh, we're all here. We're all here, Sean, and uh, we want to learn about water uh, from a historical perspective. And then, you know, since uh, people who live on farms and drink a lot of well water recently have been discovered to develop Parkinson's disease, we want to talk also about maybe later on, if not today, about alkalinizing water, ionizing water, filtering water, et cetera. So uh, okay. we have a lot of material to cover. True. Um, as a segue to go into the history of water treatment, just let me say that uh, all communities in the United States have water treatment plants uh, of one sort or another. Uh, the question that I have is, do you know how much water we have on the Earth's surface? How about you, Dr. Dan? 3% of uh, water that we could drink. Well, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. You're getting and a major I'd... for that one. That's correct. And do you know how much volume that actually is? Oh. If you actually took the Earth and looked down on it like from a satellite and pictured the United States and then zoomed in a little bit and got the state of Kentucky uh, and you covered that with water. That's not a lot. That's all the fresh water that is available, okay, for drinking. Now, salt uh, in the poles, which is the uh, North Pole and South Pole, frozen tundras, uh, we have 2% of that 3% that you mentioned is locked up. I mean, totally locked up as ice. And then in the streams, in our lakes, in our wells, groundwater, remains the other 1.5%. That is not a lot. And of that, and of that, now we're talking a small amount of water. 70% of all the surface water is polluted, so to an extent. Now, can we treat it? Yes. The good news is we can treat it. The bad news is we need to stop pollution, and we need to stop it now. Everybody talks, as you know, about uh, how the temperature is rising, global warming. But think of this. There is no 
greater resource on this earth than water. Without it, we're dead. I mean, think about that for a moment. We're dead. When we talk about global warming and the different cycles that are going on with that, we're talking 100, maybe 200 years. I'm looking at 25 years, and we have a catastrophe. We need to stop polluting. Okay? Um, I'm currently writing a a book on that called Pollution, um, and it's kind of a backup to my first book, which uh, Dr. Ron mentioned. And I thought I'd throw out a couple of these uh, statistics for you. How much water do we actually drink daily? Well, the average person drinks 2.5 cups or 20 ounces. That equals 58 gallons of water per person a year. Now, keep this in mind. That's just plain water. I'm not counting water with coffee. I'm not counting lemonade. I'm not counting soda. Okay, none of that, just plain drinking water. Now, 44 gallons of that consumed is in soda, lemonade, coffee, etc. If you're trying to figure out how much water, okay, you should drink per day, it is recommended that you drink approximately a half a gallon. Now, you can get less than a half a gallon. You can figure out almost exactly. There is a uh, formula that I, I, re- I recently got. Was your body weight divided by 50 equals the amount of quarts. For example, uh, at 210 pounds, I would drink 4.2 quarts of water. That was what my daily requirement is per day. Now that you, you have some idea of where we are and how, how much water we have on the earth, I'd like to use that as a segue to go back into time, unless we have any, any questions. Do you guys have any questions? No, because you're, you're, you're hitting on the subject now because I just ran across a Mark Twain quote. The okay. basin of the Mississippi is the body of the nation, he wrote. But even the mighty Mississippi I just read is facing monumental environmental threats. So uh, we definitely have to uh, be careful of this pollution. That is correct. Well, let's go. You had asked a question, uh, Father Ron. Uh, Father Ron, I think I want to go over my. <laughs> 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 senior Ron. <laughs> I'm going to have to get, I give you my blessing. Don't worry. <laughs> What I'd like to do is to tell you, you had mentioned of things, uh, what the Egyptians had to do, the Romans and the Greeks had to do with water. I'd like to tell you a little bit about that. To have water treatment, you need three processes. You need to have a chemical, you need to have filtration, and you need to have a delivery system, uh, which we call distribution. In the ancient times, the, the Egyptians used a product uh, called a mineral, actually called alum. Now, alum would coagulate, uh, dissolve solids in the water. They didn't know this, and it wouldn't be for hundreds of years later that alum would be used in the filtering process. But that was one of the first chemicals uh, that was discovered for the use use in water. What they actually used it for was in the tanning process of their leather. Um, so now, with them discovering uh, a chemical, 
The next thing is we went to Hippocrates, and Hippocrates uh, one day decided to look at and take a piece of wool and actually run water with algae in it through the wall. He noticed that the algae stayed behind and the water that came out was clean. Hippocrates actually was the inventor of the first water filter. It was called Hippocrates' sleeve. Now we'll get into this a little bit later. This is kind of uh, how we started the uh, RO system. Kind of looking at this, and I'll get into that a, bit, a little bit later. Hippocrates was also in prison for 20 years of hard labor, and, and the reason why he was put in prison was that he dared, okay, to tell the government that it was not the gods that caused illness, it was man's environment, and it was hereditary that they received from their families. The, it, the, the Greeks would have nothing to do with this. Uh, this was terrible. This was an infama. They threw him, in, threw him in prison. While he was in prison, he penned something called the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, mm. You three guys know about that, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Do okay. no harm. Do no harm, Sean. Do no harm. Uh, he also, by the way, just uh, from a historical point, he had four children, two daughters, and two sons. The two sons followed after him uh, in using his his science. He believed totally in water. That water, using water to heal people, to flush out the body, uh, so much of his uh, medical schemes are in, with the use of water. And later, uh, a encyclopedist, um, I don't want to uh, shatter, but the encyclopedia, medical encyclopedist called Celsius uh, would take his uh, remedies and use them on five emperors uh, of Rome. So he is uh, what you would call Hippocrates to me. I, I, I just am, am in awe of, of thinking about the things that he did and how he, why would you do this with a piece of wool? Why would you try to separate algae uh, from the water? I, you know, when I think about this, and I'm thinking about when this is, I mean, we're talking B.C. here. I mean, this is like, wow, these people are unbelievable. Well, now that yeah. the filter, okay, we have the Egyptians with chemical, we have the Greeks with the filtering mechanism, we now go to the Romans and Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar had a pretty cool uh, engineer that worked for him uh, working on the aqueducts. The interesting thing here is that most people see, when they look at a picture of an aqueduct from a history book, look at overhead structures that water is running through, the channels of water are running through. In fact, there are still some aqueducts that are still existing um, in Germany and also in France. But what you, a lot of people don't know is that there are aqueducts that actually have been dug below the ground um, and are actually 
gravity fed. Um, this is really unusual. Uh, no pumps. Remember, there's no pumps during this time. We're talking BC. So everything has to be gravity fed. Um, and the Romans accomplished this. The Romans also did one other thing that is kind of unusual, and that is they realized that all the water being used in the cities which they occupied or was being polluted uh, with human waste, etc. So they created a discharge system running that water out of the cities into the downstream from that particular city. Okay, and they did it in such a way that it wouldn't pollute the next city downstream, which is kind of unusual. Um, and there's a lot written about that. I, we, we don't have the time to get, get into that. But So there we go. We have the ancient Egyptians, chemical. We have the Greeks, filter. We have the Romans, deliverance, distribution. Those are the three main channels of water treatment. Now... We move from there, and we're going to move kind of quickly from there. We're going to go to uh, we're going to go to Scotland, and of course, this is many years later, and we are going to pick up uh, part of a filtering process called slow sand filtration. The slow sand filtration uh, took place in the 1600s, um, and it was a gentleman by the name of Gillespie, who actually invented slow sand filtration in a town that's kind of familiar to our ear. Uh, anybody hear the term Paisley? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that, was, that was really popular in the 50s. That was Paisley ties, Paisley material, right? Yeah, Paisley. <laughs> and that, actually, that's, that's the city that he was from. Um, so he developed the slow sand filter, uh, and that particular filter, what they did was they let a water, okay, run over a large area of sand and gravel and gravity fed that water, okay, back into a system or a tank or a reservoir or would feed it into cisterns. That system, okay, was greatly improved by another gentleman. Um, hang on one second. And while you're looking for that, uh, Dr. Jerry, Dr. Dan, any questions for Sean as we go along? It looks like uh, this uh, water treatment uh, is incredible and in that uh, I don't, we'll have to see how we improved upon it today, but it looks like the Romans uh, had it, uh, you know, they had clean water to drink and they got rid of the waste. Well, and then and the Germans, of course, they're using ozone. Uh, we'll get into them, and we'll okay. get into them on the road because they're quite important in water treatment, also. So hang on. Okay. Uh, uh, here we go. Okay. Uh, John Gibb. I can't think of. There's so many Johns involved in this historical trip. You have to have the last name, or you'll be lost. John Gibb uh, took that slow sand filter and improved it to the point where it was now 80% more efficient than the original that was designed by Gillespie. Such uh, an improvement 
Mr. Uh, Gibb would would be. I'm sorry, Mr. Gibb was. Oh, I got this a little backwards. Excuse me. I, you know, I did so much studying for this show. I kind of got a little. Bit. Okay, um, Robert Tom. Okay, was this gentleman that uh, the engineer that improved uh, Mr. Gillespie's filter so much that he was later thought of as the designer of the slow sand filter. But Mr. Tom, just like another example, if you remember the steam engine, um, that was Mr. Watt. But every time somebody mentions the steam engine, to me, I say Robert Fulton. Mm. Why? Because Robert Fulton put it to their first practical use in a steamboat. So he took the steamboat and he made use out of Watt's engine. The exact same thing happened with Gillespie. Uh, and so Mr. Tom improved his filtration process. And so now he did many other projects as well. Um, however, he is known solving the slow sand filter. From there, from Scotland, we go to England. And in England, we have uh, Mr. Watt, um, who is also involved in water production and water treatment. And this is back in the 1820s. Along with him is James Simpson, an engineer and scientist and counterpart to Mr. Tom, and began to build municipal water plants. Okay, so this is an important date. Municipal water plants actually started to be built in the end of the 1800s, and they were using slow sand filtration. By the time the 1800s ended, we had a gentleman called George W. Fuller. Mr. Fuller invented the rapid sand filter along with his German counterpart, who was uh, Carl Hefke, who was in charge of the Berlin Water Works. The two things came out of that. The rapid sand filter was a much smaller filter process. It took up much less property. And the other thing is that we introduced chlorine, okay, into our water system for disinfection. That was the first time it was being used, okay, in the early 1900s. Actually, Mr. Fuller received a job to do his first plant in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. So what, does, were they having problems? I mean, what, what was the uh, motivation to start adding chlorine? Uh, do you know the history of that? Well, chlorine was added as a disinfection because, yes, they were having uh, some purification problems. Um, and, by the way, that was introduced in the 1700s. Wow. And, Sean, were they, were they aware of the uh, contamination by the type of material they were running the water through, the, the different the material of piping and so forth? Lead pipes? Yeah. Are you, are you referring to the lead pipe? In, in particular, lead, yes. 
Yeah, not at that particular time. Not at not at that particular time. So the as of the late late 1800s, they they hadn't realized the the importance of lead. No, and neither in the beginning of the 1900s. Okay, when uh, we have Mr. Fuller, okay, building the first municipal plant in the United States in Little Falls, New Jersey. Um, and there is nothing that I had in, in my research um, in regards to lead poisoning. That would come, well, and I shouldn't say that I didn't know about that. I did know about that, but it was much later. So, um, Okay, sorry. so let's, let's just stop for one second here. And, and uh, Dr. Jerry, you have any questions for Sean about the history of this water so far? Uh, maybe Dr. Jerry, Dr. Dan, um, Sean. Yes. What did uh, Philadelphia have to do with the water plant that they developed? Was there anything innovative or new that came out of that uh, Philadelphia plant? Well, Philadelphia also, um, Mr. Fuller worked on. Okay, oh. the uh, first time in the first municipal plant that was built in the United States, uh, Dan, was uh, in New Jersey. Um, okay. I'm not sure what uh, what particular uh, finding you're referring to. Yeah, well, Sean, I read in your Sean, that Philadelphia had, had uh, built some kind of a uh, water plant, or, I don't know, in 1850 or 1860. Maybe it was just their first water plant that they built. Maybe... Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, according to my research, mm. my research lists 1908 uh, is is the first uh, water plant in the United States designed uh, to carry and treat 30 million gallons of water per day. Okay. All right. Maybe this was something smaller. All right. So, Sean, uh, can we can we just go? Uh, come up more to present day, and wh when did we start at, yeah, uh, I'm, doing I'm, the the alum and, and getting all these other chemicals in our waters and so forth? I'm coming. I'm coming up to that now. Okay. Um, so from there, okay, we went now to the next filtration, uh, which was membrane filtration, which began in the early 40s and 50s. Uh, two professors from UCL, UCLA uh, actually were responsible for the development of what we call the, the modern membrane. Sidney Loeb is called the father of the modern membrane. Uh, he was also working with Professor Surjan. As Mr. Professor Surjan was from Canada, uh, but he was born in India. Uh, a little extra knowledge for you there. <laughs> um, in 1960, the 60, probably 64, the first commercial membranes uh, were on the market. In 1972, uh, the city of Cape Coral uh, purchased reverse osmosis membranes uh, for the city. Now, that was kind of a, since 
since we've just commercialized 10 years earlier, this was quite a step for the city to do this. And by the way, the city still um, is using RO membranes today. Um, and we know the theory of reverse osmosis. Uh, you guys being doctors probably know that better than I do, but uh, because it goes to work in your body every day. We, you hear doctors saying that every day. You know, it's a matter of osmosis. Osmosis is the general and natural flow of things. Um, in regards to RO, we look at pressure. We develop a pressure, okay, because we're reversing the natural flow. If I had two cylinders or jugs of water together and I put a little pipe there, let's keep this in mind, the pipe I'm using, for, uh, Ron, is uh, a plastic, not lead. Uh, and I put a valve on that, okay, and I open that up. Now, half of that pipe has cotton in it to act as a membrane, okay? So now I'm opening up the flow of fresh and salt water. We got a lot of fresh water. The fresh water is starting to come into the cotton. What's happening? Well, what's going to happen is the salt water is going to push the fresh water back because that's the natural flow of things because it's heavier. Fresh water not being as heavy or dense that water is getting pushed back, and salt water now is beginning to mix with the fresh water. In order to get the fresh water, we need to apply pressure to the fresh water side, thus pushing the cylinder of water that's salt out and overflowing and starting to refill it with fresh water. Is that clear <laughs> or sort of? The yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of clear. I mean... Uh... Natural flow, flow would be for the salt water to take the fresh water, just push that fresh water out uh, and overflow it and refill and neutralize with a salty fresh water. So we're reversing the natural flow. We're applying pressure, okay, on the fresh water side, and we're actually pushing into that salt water cylinder and pushing water out of it. So that's why it's called reverse osmosis, correct? That is correct. I never understood that until just now, even reading your book. I, I, it, it just didn't click. And that You explained it very well, Sean. Thanks. Okay. So now, uh, here's the question I have for all three of you. Um, we have, okay, polluted water. Okay. Can we treat that polluted water? Absolutely. Um, yes. We have an Absolutely, yes. We have an abundance of salt water. I mean, let's face it, 96% of all the water on the earth is salt. Can we treat it? Yes. Yes. Yes, we can. You're absolutely right. However, I told you that our fresh water, uh, we are looking at about 70% of all our fresh water having contamination, mm -hmm. uh, our salt water is also starting to be contaminated. And this is runoffs, okay, uh, Father, Father Ron. You, i got to get you and Father Ron together. <laughs> Dr. Ron, uh, this is what we were talking about before, the Mississippi River uh, releasing, going into salt water. Uh, we have places in New Jersey where actually uh, I have pictures where uh, pharmaceutical needles uh, 
women's uh, tampons, uh, etc., washing up on the beach, beaches. Uh, this is all. This has happened in also in Florida. Uh, so you know we have a problem, and the problem is that most people do not think that there's a problem. My second book starts out. Let me let me give you this excerpt. A lady mother dies and she has all this medication and she says to her husband what do i do with all this medication and he says hey you know what flush it down the toilet hmm. he says don't worry about it he goes i just took two gallons of paint and diluted it and threw it down the sink hmm. and dilution is the solution to pollution <laughs> wrong <laughs> wrong that's how my book starts the second book starts that is absolutely wrong because from there it has to go to a water reclamation or a wastewater plant. Now we call it water reclamation. Uh, we don't call them wastewater plants anymore because we take the water and we reuse it. It becomes secondary water. So now wastewater plants are now known as water reclamation plants. But this water that you flush down the toilet, uh, the paint that comes slopping down, okay, goes into that water plant, wastewater plant. Water reclamation plant, what do they do with it, okay? That's a whole different story. We don't know the amount of damage that drugs, for example, going into that system has. Uh, we know that they're diluted to some, some sense, but we don't know overall, and we don't know overall how much of that kind of stuff is being thrown into our septics. So there's food for thought right there. Well, Sean, also, you know, the, the, the uh, all the farming, the potato farming and so forth, with all the nitrates that are being found sugar? in the... What about and, the yeah. sugar farms right here, Dr. Ron? Well, I was going to tell you, you know, and, and, and you know what? And, and the gypsum, there's a gypsum stack in Mosaic County uh, fertilizing plant in Mulberry, Florida. It just created a big uh, sinkhole, Sean. And they say it's full of sulfuric acid and phosphate. Crazy. Yes. Yes, it is. Nasty stuff. Yeah, nasty. Uh, so uh, we, I think, you know, the, the, your, your premise to start with is we, you know, we don't have to dilute. We just have not to pollute. There you go. There you go. The solution to pollution is don't pollute. That is yep. correct. That is correct. But it's a lot easier said than done. How much water do we waste? We waste a lot. I, you know, normally when I, I, I give presentations, I ask, put $50 on a blackboard. And I say, and generally I have 25 to maybe 50 people that are at these presentations, and I say to them, that $50 is to the first person who can come up here and tell me they didn't use water today. Yeah, I had no takers. <laughs> no, that person is dead. <laughs> that person is dead. Um, right. So you know, I don't know uh, what the what the solution, okay, to non-pollution is. Uh, education probably is, I'd say, ninety percent of it, uh, and willpower is the other ten. I mean, people shaving, running their water. Water's going down the drain, right? Right. Uh, we're making spaghetti, okay? We're letting the water run 
in the colander over the top of spaghetti to get rid of the starch. How many gallons do you think you wasted there? I mean, all of these things waste water. So, and eventually... So, so Sean, we, I think we all would agree that uh, we have to be more... Uh, conscious of conserving water. I mean, we you know we we talked uh, about running out of potable water, but this potable water is not pure anymore, right? I mean, would you consider the 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 drinking water or unfiltered water in your home to be safe? Absolutely. Uh, in my home, now I don't know about you, Doctor Ron, uh, but we have RO water here. And our okay. water, 99% okay, of the impurities are removed. Okay? Um, that's another thing. You know, people talk and are, you know, they talk about fluoride in their water. Do you add fluoride? I wouldn't add fluoride to my water. The reason in Florida, I would say 85% of all Floridian water has fluorides in it, has natural fluoride. <laughs> Um, here in Cape Coral, we actually, the RO systems actually remove a certain amount of fluoride, leaving about 0.75, okay, which is about what the dentists use for fluoride treatments. So uh, that's, that's okay. If you're looking at um, what about other pollutants that may be in the water, well, first of all, our water's coming from seven to a thousand feet below the ground. Uh, to have those pollutants, now you could have natural pollutants like fluoride, for example. You could have lead in the water. We don't. Um, so you have to look at what your feed water is. Feed water is what we call the water before it's treated. Um, and we do a chemical. Testing of our water to find out what we actually have in it before it's treated. So, I so, would, so I Sean, would say, if you don't live in, in Cape Coral or Bonita Springs that have reverse osmosis, you're in trouble. Would, so, so, well, you're in trouble. But to get the purest water, you think our listeners should a what? Would you agree? Filter the water both at the point of entry and the point of use. That is correct. And you today they actually have now you. And I'm not going to name name filters, but there are uh, filters that you can use. For example, if you want, a lot of people are opposed to chlorine, which is in the water. Um, they feel chlorine will do detrimental damage to them. Not, and I might add, not at the ratio which they're receiving it at. But anyway, to make these people feel more comfortable, they can put an activated carbon filter, which will go right on their faucet in the kitchen to take out the chlorine. Uh, there are filters on the market. Uh, I would look at the five-stage. There's a two-stage filter that brags about taking out half the dissolved solids. Oh, that's another thing. What is a dissolved solid? A dissolved solid is something that is solid, okay, but dissolvable. Let's take a look at one major one salt, sodium chloride. If you put sodium chloride in water, it dissolves, correct? Now it becomes yep. salt. You put sugar in water, it becomes sugar water. If you put too much sugar in, 
you become totally saturated, and the sugar now drops to the bottom of the glass. Mm. Correct? Right. Correct. Okay. Right. So here's what I'm saying to you. If you have a five-stage filter, which they have now on the market, that reduces the dissolved solids. And by the way, there are other dissolved solids, minerals, okay, that we have besides sugar and salt. I just use those because they're the most popular. Uh, it takes out all of it. It'll take out lead as well. So a five-stage carbon filter. But no, five-stage filter. I don't know if it's totally carbon. I know there's carbon in there, but I'm not sure what. There are two. I know the major filter that's out there that you see is Brita. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. It's a, sure it's a good filter. Um, and then there's a new five-stage filter that removes all of the dissolved solids. That, to me, would be the one that I would invest in, in my opinion. Well, Sean, would you agree that unless you have a whole house water filter, chlorine will vaporize from every toilet bowl in your home, and every time you wash your clothes or dishes or take a shower or a bath and have chloroform gas and chlorine vapors? No. I would disagree with that totally. And the reason I would disagree with that totally is the amount of chlorine that you have um, in your house is a very, very small percent. Um, you have probably less than one point uh, per million of chlorine in your water. 1.1 maybe parts per million. Parts per million, doctor. You and I and your other doctors know what a part per million is. It's a very tiny amount, okay, very tiny. But, Sean, would you would you be surprised if I told you that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, uh, has uh, reported that most homes in the United States have measurable levels of chloroform gas courtesy of chlorinated tap water? Uh, yeah, I'd be very shocked about that. And I, and I don't necessarily um, share altogether the opinion of the FDA. Okay. okay. I mean, so, Sean, I have a quick question. I, I know the water is a major component. <clears throat> How about the copper pipes that the that the chlorinated water is running through, and also now that they're putting more PVC, what are the deleterious effects of that? Well, to my to my knowledge, there is nothing from the PVC, uh, except when the PVC is installed. If it's if the PVC is um, tube type, uh, I don't think there's any uh, harmful uh, things happening with that or ingredients in that. The only thing I don't like about PVC piping is the glue. Uh, that can send nasty vapors um, into your house, and I, I, I really don't care for that, and I don't know how healthy that is. Uh, but other than that, I haven't heard much of anything. Now, the copper pipe, that's an interesting thing that you brought up. The copper pipe, we had a problem in uh, the city, Cape Coral about uh, copper leaking. Uh, of course, everybody went after the water plant, saying that our water, uh, you know, cause of the copper pipe failing and people having leaks all over their house. Um, I had to disagree with that, and I had proof to go along with it. Between 1988 and 1994, homes built during that time. Uh, we're getting copper in the United States that was imported, okay? 
was that copper, every linear foot of that copper checked. Plus, it was thin wall copper, okay? Uh, if you go up north, uh, the further north you go, <coughs> you have K copper, which is the heaviest copper. Um, I sold my house 36 years ago, and they still have the original copper, okay? What I'm saying to you is I think a lot of the copper that came into this country uh, was at 100%, let's put it that way. And uh, it leaked. Not only that, but we sent several uh, samples to the Copper Institute. Now, this is very interesting. The Copper Institute uh, sent back the samples, three of the four samples I sent, uh, and said it was workmanship related. When the Cape was being built, you had craftsmen that were putting pipes, and these pipes, they were putting up copper pipes running across the ceiling. Okay, they were, they were smearing on uh, solder, okay, uh, flux. That flux, once they put that flux up, they would pass that up to the guy that was up on the top, and some of that flux would run down the pipe. If the flux sits in a copper pipe long enough, it will create a pinhole. Did you know that? No, never knew that. Interesting. Okay. So a lot of a lot of times we had, you know, construction problems that led to these leaks, but the majority of them came from inferior copper. Now if you if you you put copper with another metal together, okay, let's say we just dumped uh, 300 feet of copper piping cut up in pieces, um, and we had other metal around that. You can contaminate that copper as well. Well, I can attest to that. I had an old dental office. The original office had some galvanized pipe, and Yo. when they did the new copper plumbing, they hooked it, connected it to the galvanized pipe. Well, it took 20 years. And then one day I walked in and I thought I had a sprinkler system in my front room <laughs> because I had pinholes all in the copper pipe and the water was squirting out. There you go. And, you know, in the city we had we didn't have copper to start with, you know. Um, we had galvanized piping. And, of course, the bad thing, of course you know this, that galvanized piping, what happens is it starts to clog up, kind of like right. an artery. Yep. Uh, with all kinds of, of junk. And pretty soon... Your pressure is gone to nothing, so you have to replace the pipe. That's really that's really interesting. Yeah. So, Sean, uh, we're getting under ten minutes to go to the hour. I okay. I, I I sort of have to uh, take up a, a holy grail here because it, it seems it's going to take a uh, uh, a global effort. To to uh, to change to to uh, conserve, it's going to take the industri in industrial uh, complex, the agricultural complex, and us on an individual level uh, to help protect uh, ourselves and help the problem. Right? That is correct. And I would like like the listeners to remember, the solution to pollution is never dilution. That kind of right. I love it. I love it. Um, and we don't have enough time to get into it, but I think we need to talk about how to get a really good drinking water. Uh, what, you know, can you filter out the, the, I mean, the amount of antidepressants, like you said, they're, they're flushed down the toilet and getting into the, uh, 
water supply can 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 well why don't we just answer that can you can you get rid of those 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 uh, drugs that come into that are dumped into the our water tables you you can uh do some i am still in uh research doing stuff on that and hopefully maybe um if you're interested we can get back together again and uh, and have another show over pollution I, th- I think that's where we have to go next. I mean, it's, we have a good foundation from back to Hipp- Hippocrates. I mean, I learned uh, a lot about that. I never knew he was in jail. And uh, why the heck would he use wool? But uh, God bless him. Uh, but now we have how to, you know, to get practical, how do we solve the problems we have right now? I mean, uh, on a medical level, uh, Dr. Dan, Dr. Jerry, and I, we talk about detoxifying our bodies getting rid of the heavy metals, the uh, halogens and so forth, and, you know, parasites and whatever. But it would be great because part of the treatment is good water uh, to make sure that you're getting the best quality water you can uh, to put in your body. Right. And you don't, let's, let's, let's put it this way too, uh, Dr. Ron. It's not just municipal RO systems. Uh, we're capable, you know, you're capable of buying residential RO systems. And But the other thing that you want to know that's very important is if you buy a home RO system and then your community goes to RO, you've got to be very careful uh, because what will happen is that is if you have copper piping, um, that copper piping will be attacked. And I, I can explain that on the next show too, so... Okay, so is there something? So if you have two RO, if you have the municipal RO and you have one in your house, and you have copper pipe. Suppose you have the plastic pipe, this red and this blue. I see in in the new home construction. That's okay. The plastic pipe is okay. You can't corrode that. Okay. You can't. Here's something that I tell uh, that I used to tell my customers. Um, and by the way, folks, uh, I've been in the business uh, for 32 years and retired out of it. But what I used to tell my customers is that you cannot um, corrode and coat at the same time. Uh, Our municipal water has a slight scale to it. If it's slightly scaling, it cannot be corroding. Right? You cannot put down a film and take away that film. That film is there. So it's one or the other. So our water is not aggressive. Now I have the health department saying that we are not an aggressive system, that we're an anti-aggressive system. Sean, how about the bacterial content of the public water supply? That's checked. Uh, that's checked uh, every, I believe it's every two weeks, uh, to check for bacteria. Uh, if you do get bacteria, uh, and, and most of the time, it's uh, uh, fecal bacteria. Um, you're, you're, you have to boil your water, and uh, we have to flush that area. Uh, that that happens, uh, not frequently, but it does happen. And that's where you get your boil notice uh, certificates in the in the mail. Or, so, I was, yeah, I was sorry, just speaking ahead, to a, a fellow who had some expertise in water over the weekend, and he was saying that. In the sewage, in the pipes that deliver the water, it builds up like a slime, and that's why they have to flush out the pipes periodically in the streets. Well, they do do. Yes, that's correct. He is kind of correct. It's, I wouldn't call it a slime. 
You'd <laughs> <laughs> be scaring everybody to death. Uh, <laughs> what the townships do is they have a regular flushing, flushing program, and what they do is they'll flush, okay, for quite a while. Now, a lot of times if you don't flush for, let's say, 20 minutes to, to a half hour, you'll loosen everything up in the pipe, okay, and then you'll get, you know, different particulates. Um, I've had that happen to me where I got sand, for example, uh, in my shower, um, and it was okay. I mean, not to have the sand, but the sand was okay. It was purified with chlorine and everything, but that was because they didn't flush long enough. But now they have regular flushing programs. They know precisely how long to flush, and the water comes back, and it's back to clear. Sean, uh, I have to ask you a couple of questions that I got in the chat room, and they regard, they're in regards to uh, our listeners who have uh, wells on their property. Wells, and, okay. Uh, how can they be sure they're getting the best possible water, and should, where do they get it tested, and uh, should they have carbon and reverse osmosis filters and so forth? They're the type of questions coming in. Okay. One, if you... You would only go to RO is expensive, and you would go to RO if the solidity in your water is high. If the solidity is not high, and let me give you the maximum contaminant level for solidity, is 250 parts per million. Uh, if it's over that, I would say they should get an RO system. Um, how do they make sure that their water is good? Uh, you could take it to the county and the county can test their water. Uh, of course, they will charge them for that, but uh, they'll, they'll test their water. They'll run tests on it to make sure that it's fine. Okay. Uh, and and they'll, they'll check for the, uh, the coliform bacteria that you talked about, and uh, do they do any kind of chemical check? Think about this. Most of that, in the coliform bacteria, most wells are anywhere from 90 to, I've seen them as deep as 240 feet, okay? How far do you think sewage, okay, will go down? Not far. So I don't think probably uh, looking at uh, bacteria-wise, you know, fecal bacteria, they're not going to find, I don't think, okay. you know. All right, but, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, – uh, listeners who have wells live in farm areas, and that, that's why that that question has been coming up in, in the chat room. Well, and, and the other side of this, too, is if their wells uh, are on farms and they're using their well water for irrigation and not drinking, uh, there's no problem there, right? Unless right. the solidity is high because that would damage your crop. Okay. Sean, I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. Um. What I what I added to my home is it was called a Berkey filter. Do you ever hear of those? Berkey. Berkey. B E R K E Y. Um. No, I'm not. Is this Doctor Dan? Yeah. I'm familiar with that, Doctor Dan. You probably threw that at me because you knew it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we have it here, and uh, what we do is it, it's in the kitchen, and we just uh, I just filled it up. Okay. And uh, I get a couple of gallons every time I fill it up, and it takes everything out. Okay. I mean, it can take anything whatsoever out of the water. I'll tell you what I would do with that, Dr. Dan. I would take and I would do uh, a filtration process like you're explaining that you do and mm -hmm. take a 
of that water over to Lee County and have them test it, they will definitely tell you if and it like lead or any other contaminant. Okay, a good yeah. idea. And and did you ever hear of a moringa plant at all? Moringa plant. Uh, where, you, where you can take the moringa, uh, which I take some of every day. Rita grows it in the back here. And uh, uh, it's good for your health, your blood pressure and so forth. And after you dry it out and make a, you know, a natural, a natural dry out. And uh, they say you can add this to any kind of polluted water and it will completely clear the water up and make it drinkable. Even pool water, I mean, or dirty water. Has anybody heard of that at all? I haven't heard that, but let me let me just put one more thought out there for our listeners. Okay. You know, the storm and everybody wonders about getting to the store and getting bottled water. Mm-hmm. Pool is one of your largest sources that you have. It's your own reservoir. Right. So if you add, take a gallon of water and add a drop of bleach in that water, you can drink it. You say from the pool? Yep, from the pool. Even though, uh, okay, in addition to the chlorine that's already in there? Correct. One drop. Okay. Uh, My third question, (laughs) questions for you, if we can get these in quickly. Uh, Alum, does it, alum has aluminum in it, does it not? Called aluminum sulfate. And we're not supposed to ingest aluminum. Toxic. So, is this something that is good for us to have another filter for to take out? No, actually, uh, the alum is a coagulant. Aluminum sulfate is used in today's drinking water process as a coagulant. It takes all of the dissolved solids, okay, and it solidifies them, and they fall, okay, to the bottom. Okay, okay, so there's no toxicity there. Okay. But you do recommend uh, a reverse osmosis system in addition to the one we already have in the home or some kind of filtration in addition? No, 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 no. I don't recommend that at all. If you have RO coming to your home, you have probably the best treatment that you can have in the world. So you don't need to buy another RO system to add to the home because Cape Coral and these other places down here have already have the RO. That is correct. And okay. we have, have the highest technology membranes installed in our facility as well. Okay. I didn't quite understand that, but I do now. Thank you. Okay. All right, Sean. This is Dr. Ron again. Uh, Dr. Ron, unfiltered, uncensored. Uh, what I would like, if you would, please, uh, your name, serial number, no, your name, the name of your book, where you can get it. Uh, so our listeners can uh, have that information. Okay. The book is called The Story of Water Treatment and the Cape Coral Experience. Uh, my name, if you put this on your computer, S as in Sam, P as in Paul, K-O-P-K-O, my book title will come up and you will see uh, Amazon. And you can purchase it there. Excellent. Well, well, we've learned a lot today, Sean, and and we have to revisit the uh, pollution in water. And uh, something that I do, and I think Jerry does, Dr. Jerry does also. We use I use ozone in my pool 
to, to keep it clean, so I have to use very little chlorine. And I also I also ozonate my drinking water. Uh, so, uh, and I know. Excuse me. You don't have any European friends living over in Europe, do you? Because that's how they uh, they that's how they disinfect their water. Exactly. Well, my I have family that lives in Italy and Spain, and uh, and that's where I got that idea from. And then talking to Dr. Jerry, I got the idea and uh, of using ozone for treating uh, you know different uh, condition medical conditions. Doctor, he has a lot more experience uh, in the medical side, uh, but I do use it for my pool and for my uh, drinking water. Excellent. Well, Dr. Jerry, let's uh, before we get this this is a, a different program for our audience. I hope you you all enjoy it and I hope uh, you send me um uh, an email at docronradio d o c r o n radio docronradio at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of this type of program. Uh I have also have a Facebook page it's called Dr. Ron Unfiltered Uncensored. Uh you know, like us there that helps us and let us know what you think. And uh, let me just turn it over to Dr. Jerry for a second. Any final questions for uh, Mr. Kopko? Not a question, but I just uh, came across a statistic that kind of blew my circuits. It said there's over a billion people on this planet that don't have access to clean drinking water. That, that seems criminal. Yep, that is true. Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and I have friends that, that make frequent trips to uh, Africa to put in the wells and and now I had a friend just leave for Haiti to get try and get those 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 poor souls some some drinking water. But how many people did you say? A billion. A billion. Oh. Yep. Doctor Jerry, I had a visitor come to the RO plant when I was superintendent there from South America. They were going to build an RO plant. I said, "Gee, that's nice. Your your residents are really going to enjoy that." He said, "It's not for them. It's for our cement." Oh, <laughs> they want the pure cement, right? Oh my gosh, that's, that's criminal! Yeah, that's criminal too. Uh, it really is immoral too. Well, Sean, I want to thank you, uh, Doctor um, Doctor Dan. You, I'm sure you have some final words for uh, Sean. Uh, one one quick thing, if I could ask, if we can desalinate the water, why are not why are we not desalinating the water like Israel's doing in order to um, take care of all these people, these billion and so forth that don't have cl- clean water? Sean, is there an answer to that? Yes, money. Who's paying money. for it? Who's but, paying you wanna you wanna put the desalination in Africa, you wanna put it anywhere, who's paying for that? If they're paying right. for it, it's no problem. We have what is it now? Twenty trillion dollars in debt? Yeah, yeah, stop the know. wars and you'll have the money for the desalination. Oh there you go. <laughs> <laughs> what? Stop the wars, he said. Stop the wars. Right. There you go. I agree. And, uh, all right. Well, well uh, and, go ahead, and I will see you next week on the radio. Hopefully. Well, Sean, I want to thank you. Uh, I want to just remind our listeners that you, the, the title of your book is "The Story of Water Treatment: The Cape Coral Experience." Uh, his last name is spelled Kopko, K-O-P-K-O. If you're interested in the history of water and what they've done in Cape Coral with a reverse osmosis. Uh, we can recommend that book to you. Uh, Dr. Dr. Dan, thank you for today. Dr. Jerry, just remember, Dr. Jerry, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. 
I'll bite. <laughs> I love and, we didn't, okay. and we didn't even talk about Mercury. <laughs> no, no. Well, mm. <laughs> that's the next show, Sean. Well, okay. thank you, everyone. Sean, uh, thank you for the time and expertise uh, that that you've uh, shared with us. I'm sure our audience uh, is uh, will have to digest this, and uh, and hopefully they'll buy your book. Hopefully. Having okay, read the ladies. book, I'll tell you, it is a great book, and it's an easy read. So, if anybody's concerned, uh, oh, it, hey, it, hey, Doctor Dan, isn't too, it isn't too long. Hey, Doctor Dan, you didn't tell him the most important thing. It's got what, pictures. What's that? It's got pictures. Oh, yes. The pictures are great. And I love pictures. Because I need them to understand the book, to understand things. Thanks, Ladies John. and gentlemen, thank you Good so night, much. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> Good night, Mr. and Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. And uh, we will uh, see you next week. We're going to talk a little bit about light next week, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and how it affects your health. So with that, thank you, everyone. Uh, remember, uh, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. If you don't change it, you're not going anyplace. So see you next week. Thank you. Dr. Ron and Dr. Ron have left the building. Thank you for listening to Rejuvenation Health Radio here on Radio.com. See you next week. Ciao.